You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. of noises. I was really enjoying watching Daniel <laughs> struggle up. to properly indent something on the show sheet, so I was really distracted as the music was playing, and you probably heard me laughing in the background, because he still hasn't gotten it right. It's, it's been like right. 30 seconds, and it's still not right. It is kind of right. There we go. I got it now. Nailed it. First try. <laughs> How did we make the show sheet without mentioning the Mariners at all? What the heck? Welcome to I the had. scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. I'm Justin Domashevitz. There you go. That's my co-host, Daniel Hargrove. We also have our producer and joke ruiner, Andrew Gross, here with us. That's what I... That's the thing I missed the most about you last week, is I went off on my crazy (laughs) little opening show rant, and there was nothing to bring me back. I was just left there. I enjoyed that part. You made noises, and you're like, oh, uh, okay, uh, yeah. But this time, you distracted my me by being really <laughs> terrible at typing things into the show sheet. That's your fault. That's on you. I'll take it. So we got a good show for you today. We got Athletes of the Week, multiple again. Yes, we're going to talk Mariners and Seahawks and other stuff. So let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Are you actually ready or are you going to say, let's? yeah, I'm ready, and then start editing things in the show sheet? Let's do it. Okay. Let's go, let's go, let's go, hello. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball around. Gun do right. Gun do right. Three jet Buckeye. Don't worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now. Damian Lillard said on Jalen and Jacoby last week that the Portland Trailblazers should retire LaMarcus Aldridge's number 12. Aldridge played nine seasons in Portland before leaving in free agency. Daniel, should 12 be hung from the rafters at Moda Center? No. I, I don't understand this. Uh, I get that Damian Lillard is one of, like, you know, former teammate. Some people thought they were on bad terms. Maybe this is just him really trying to prove that, no, we're (laughs) buddies now. But I I don't understand it. LaMarcus Aldridge, yes, he was a great player. He was a great trailblazer. He was fun to watch. I was very happy to have him on Portland's team. But he is not somebody who should have their number retired. Former Seahawk defensive lineman Jadavion Clowney has signed a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. Justin, how big an impact will Clowney have in Cleveland? Not big. (laughs) Daniel, you have repeatedly bashed some of Major League Baseball's new rules, specifically the runner on second base in extra innings rule. How do you feel about the softball-like seven-inning doubleheaders? Oh, softball-like. You do see that in college baseball sometimes, at least. But, yeah, it's a little chintzy. How can I feel bad about it, though, when it helps the Mariners win all these doubleheaders they've been forced to make? (laughs) It's weird. I don't like it that much. It changes the game so much because in younger levels, yeah, getting five innings out of your starting pitcher can be tough. In the pros, it's like, whew. Our starter only has to go four or five, and then we can use our two best relievers to get a win? Yeah, it levels the playing field 
so much. And I think that's part of the reason why you've seen the Mariners get off to such a good start is they've had four doubleheader games. We should start those seven-inning games with a runner on second. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Later this year, Happy Madison Productions. That's Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, right? Yeah, it's that's Adam that Sandler's yeah. production okay. company. Yeah. yeah. They will be filming a movie starring Kevin James as New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. That's weird. The movie will tell the story of the NFL coach helping out with his son's youth football team during his year-long suspension for being a terrible coach. Oh, wait. From being (laughs) (laughs) from the NFL for Bounty Gate. Justin, are you intrigued? I will always be intrigued by something that is starring Kevin James. He's one of my favorite actors. I think it's a weird choice for Kevin James to play Sean Payton, but I'm going to assume that this is going to be a family film that's a comedy, and it's very loosely based on Sean (laughs) Payton because I can't picture Kevin James acting or sounding like Sean Payton at all. And I'm much more excited for Space Jam 2 than (laughs) I am for those. LeBron. Oh, LeBron. LeBron. Yeah. Uh, All these topics are super interesting to (laughs) me. Super interesting. So let's start off with the one that's most interesting to me, and that is the retiring of a yeah. random player who's probably not even a Hall of Fame career guy. So Why? we we've talked about retirement of numbers before on this show, and I think some teams just go crazy with retiring numbers. I, I think maybe it's the Chicago Bears or something. There's some teams that have so many numbers retired that it's hard for players to have numbers, That's... enough numbers. So <laughs> my, like my first too. thought was like, I looked at this and I was like, no, no. I mean, for people who remember the story of the way LaMarcus Aldridge left, I mean, he was an incredibly insecure person who felt like he was in the shadow of first Brandon Roy. Um, and then Damian Lillard kind of got all the shine and, he said he wanted to stay, and then he left, and he kind of bashed the team a little bit after he left. And then, I don't know how many people will remember this, Dame and LaMarcus Aldridge were not on good terms when they left. Nope. It was a couple years later that a mutual friend was like, hey, you guys just didn't communicate. You need to get back together and, and talk this out. And they hashed it all out, and now they're buddies. He also did this thing where he talked with Dame and he was like, hey, you know, I'd love to come end my career in Portland. And they talked about reuniting at some point. Well, he kind of had the chance to do that this year when his contract was terminated and he could go basically be the last guy off the bench anywhere he wanted. And he didn't choose to go there. He chose to go to the Nets, which is fine. I'm not going to sit here and say that LaMarcus Aldridge made bad choices in his career or he shouldn't have done what he did. Like, go play in San Antonio. I don't care. That's totally fine. But to me... The jersey retirement should be reserved for guys who showed that kind of a loyalty and longevity with the team. Like, if he had stayed in Portland, even if they never won a title and he played six more years, I would have been, well, yeah, definitely. But you play nine years somewhere and then you leave on bad terms and you go somewhere else to play. I'm not saying it's a bad choice. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. But that's not the guy whose jersey I would want hanging from the rafters. So as much as I hate to disagree with Dame in this particular instance, no, I would not like to see LaMarcus Aldridge number retired. Justin, would you say that the Patriots should not retire Tom Brady's number then? <laughs> well, Tom well, Brady a little different. played there for It's a little different, 20 but, they, years. but he then left to take his He also won talents to I, South Beach, I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, I think South Beach is the southern part of uh, Florida. Yeah, so North Miami. Beach. North Beach. More, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's more like, okay, so let's say LaMarcus Aldridge had played there nine years and he brought Portland a title. Like, he was the best player on a championship team. Then, yeah, I think you probably do. Like, he he's in the top three or five in multiple statistical categories in his nine years in Portland. So if he brought you a championship, you felt generally good about what he did, and he is one of the best players in the history of your franchise, then yeah, do it. But he didn't do those things, yeah. and he left. So yeah. Broadly I speaking, I agree I, with you. I just wanted to point that out. I think this translates closer as a comp to Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. I mean, he didn't completely burn his bridges on the way out like those two guys did, but I feel similarly about those situations. Whereas, like, yeah, you were awesome. I loved you when you were here. And then you're like, yeah, we're going to go somewhere else. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about those guys having their numbers retired from the Seahawks organization either. I mean, if you keep retiring numbers, people aren't going to have any numbers to wear. That, yeah. That's the hard part. So I went and I looked at, like, the list of Portland Trailblazers guys who have retired numbers. And there, there's not a ton of them, but there's several guys that only played there for like between four and seven years, and they have their numbers retired. So One of them's Bill Walton. He didn't play there long, but he was great, and they won a championship yeah. with him. So that I kind of get. Um, some of the names I didn't know. Oh but, no! Yeah, do you but remember older guys? Older guys um, back when they won championships. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I would assume that like, if Lamarcus Aldridge had won an NBA title in Portland. I think I would feel, and a lot of people would generally feel differently about this. But he also left at a time where, you know, if he had just stuck around, things were going. They be, were on yeah. the edge of being really good. So it was so frustrating when he left as yeah. a as a person who was rooting for that team to see like you've got this elite young point guard, you have a pretty good core or a pretty good supporting cast around them, and then your other best player decides to leave in free agency, which again. It's totally fine. You decide to do what you want to do, but that's going to affect the way fans in Portland and the organization in Portland looks at you down the road. Exactly. And it's understandable. I mean, yeah, yeah, do what you want to do there, but that doesn't mean that everybody else has to feel the same way about you if you hadn't done that. And what any of these other ones you want to get to? Yeah, so Clowney, basically, I think he would have to be on the field to have a big impact. <laughs> oh. And in Tennessee, he was either not on the field or you could barely tell he was on the field. So if he's going to have a chance to have an impact somewhere, I could see that lining up opposite uh, Miles Garrett could be good for him. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to imagine. I mean, even when, when he played in Seattle, I think I was listening to Danny and Gallant last week and they talked about him briefly and I think some people have really built up how good he was in Seattle. He like basically had two or three really good games and one massively dominant game. Mm-hmm. But besides that, he was either hurt or limited from being hurt or not really very good. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard for me to picture him like stepping up and just being a big impact player. Well, he was so good for Seattle because it was all relative. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Seattle didn't have anybody else. He yeah. was like four times better than any other defensive lineman. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then the other thing is, so the baseball rules. I, I'm much more interested in the way you feel about the baseball rules because I think it, I feel like yeah. it's something you get like mad about. Yeah, and typically I wouldn't like anything that's gimmicky. And we've talked about the the player on second base thing, 
And my thought on it, like more than anything, was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. It does feel like softball. It's gimmicky and odd. But at the same time, the things that I'm missing in baseball is balls in play, guys on the base path, motion. And my thought was, okay, well, if a team is in the mentality of, I got to get that run home, I have a runner on second and no outs, maybe we'd be more likely to see things like balls in play Mm -hmm. and movement on the base paths. And you've seen that with some teams. I mean, Seattle is one of the teams that they get into extra innings and they bunt the guy over and they score him and they go from there. And then the... Bunt? Teams still do that in baseball? Not many because (laughs) then the next team comes up down by one run and they have three guys go up there hacking and they end up losing to the Mariners by one run. And it's like... Bunting is such a lost art. How? How? It's such a lost art. How? How? How can you not do this? You're giving another team a win in that situation. Oh my gosh, it drives me nuts. So the seven innings, at least they're not just appearing somebody on second. Because like I said, you're putting the pitcher in a completely manufactured, crappy position. That guy still gets an earned run. That's bogus. Right? Like, that affects people's careers when they're looking at trying to get another job somewhere. Like... Hey, yeah, I came into the extra innings and I got this stupid earned run because this guy magically appeared at second base. That's so stupid. I don't... The seven innings, like, I get it because of why they're doing it. It's a doubleheader. Something happened. They needed to fill another game. Schedules are tight in baseball. It's much more understandable to me. I don't understand why both the games are seven innings. I've played in games... I'm pretty sure it was in college where we had a doubleheader and one game was seven innings and the other one was nine innings. So I don't I don't <laughs> see why they're like, yep, we, we got to get this done, two seven-inning games. It, I don't know. It, it is really interesting to me, though, how it seems like so many more games are close at, set, at the seven-inning mark or when teams are playing for that seventh inning instead of getting into the ninth. And I think, it, again, it leads to you only have to use two relievers. So you can use your best two guys, and shocking, your starter can actually do a decent job of getting you into the fifth inning. So, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And like I said, may, I would probably feel worse about this if, uh, if the Mariners hadn't benefited it from it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's, I don't know. How do you feel seven innings? Uh, I don't really care. Yeah, I figured. I, I think um, the length of baseball games, I, I've often thought, like, man, baseball games are too long. This sucks. I can't sit down and watch the whole thing. And then I was listening to it. There's this podcast I listen to occasionally Baseball's called... Baseball's for listening to. That, too. Yeah. But I was listening to this podcast with... It's called Nothing Personal, and it's uh, David Sampson, and he's a former uh, Marlins and Montreal Expos executive. He, he was the guy who had really good takes when the Mariner, when the yes. whole Kevin Mather thing happened. Exactly. Yeah. And some of what he says is really stupid. But like generally, <laughs> he gives you insight because he's really honest about like what happens in baseball. And he's like, well, as people always say that baseball games are too long and there's way too many of them, because I've always been an advocate of shortening the season. Like, the games feel meaningless, and in 2001, when the Mariners were, like, super good, I watched every freaking game. I probably watched 95% of 130 of the 162 games. Yeah. But now it's like, it feels like, so, feels like so much time is taken. But he's saying, basically, no baseball executive is expecting fans to watch all of every game. Mm-hmm. Like, 
they view baseball as a marathon where you would pick up in one spot and watch part of it and then you pick up in another spot and you watch part of it. But like I hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah. Like that you're not baseball is not intended to be a hundred percent consumed like football is. Yeah. It's really not. It's intended for you to be able to watch bits and pieces of it here and there and get an idea of what the larger picture of the story is. Honestly, so, I feel similarly about basketball. Yeah. About the NBA. I think the NBA season should be shortened for different reasons, like uh, just attrition, just well, injuries, and then, all the back-to-backs and everything. So then, you know, your best players are actually playing in all the yes. games instead of sitting for half of them? This year's been particularly bad, and a lot of the injuries that some of the best NBA players are facing are injuries from wear and overuse. Um I was listening to um, CJ McCollum on his pull-up podcast, and he said that the Blazers are going to have a stretch coming up soon where they have five games in seven days. Um, for NBA basketball, that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty crazy toll for them to put on all the. It's not so much even like con, it's not contact footballs like in, injuries like in football. It's muscles and tendons and ligaments and joints and just all the overuse causes lots of muscle strains and pulls and you know acl tears and yeah it it, it's a it's a lot of stress to put on knees and ankles exactly for for sure because you're just jumping up and down and stopping quickly i mean you're landing on your knees and you're putting a lot of pressure on those a ton yeah and yet I feel the same way with football when you talk about attrition, and yeah. yet now they're adding a game. Yeah, I don't like that. It's so dumb. So I don't like it you... at all. It's it's frustrating. I mean, it generally happens that the team who can survive the most injuries mm-hmm. are the teams that are there at the end of the year. So now they're just adding a game where there's going to be more injuries. I don't know. I don't really like it. Baseball, I generally watch while I'm doing other things. Mm-hmm. So it's like or it's, listen. It's yeah, watch or listen. <laughs> yeah. It's an on in the background thing, yeah. and that's kind of how you watch it. Or, or even like at any given then, moment, you turn it on in the second inning, you turn it off in the fourth, and maybe you watch or listen again yeah. later in the game. And so what? I generally come into a game later. Yeah. And so it's usually like fifth, sixth inning, and I'll come into it and I'll be like, oh yeah, the Mariners are playing, and so I'll put it on on my phone. I'll start watching it, and it's kind of secondary. And then if it's a close game, then all of a sudden eighth inning. Must watch. Ninth inning, must watch. Tenth inning, because one of the games I watched was an extra inning game. I must watch, you know? So those last three innings are where I'm, like, actually paying attention. Right. But before that, I'm, you know, I'm doing dishes. Unless it's a ten-run game, and then you just turn it off. Then you turn it off. So <laughs> yeah. a lot like basketball, with, like, the last three minutes being the, yeah, the interesting the, part the of the game. The important part, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Justin. It's now time for your favorite part of the show. Ah! <laughs> I'm not ready for that at all. There so he lends you into on it, a silver platter where the points are made up and the rules don't matter. Time for stump. Daniel. That wasn't Daniel's that call. That was this not time. Daniel's Sometimes call. Sometimes he does no. go right into that. Okay, now it's time for the mailbag. Or whatever, and you're no. not ready with the clicker. He was like, no. <laughs> that was it's me. Time. That was me making fun of, of basketball and uh, looking for a reaction from Justin <laughs> and completely forgetting. Justin's favorite. <laughs> Part of the show. Do I have a job? Time for John Daniel. (laughs) That was my other favorite part of last week's show. All right, move along. Move along. (laughs) Junt Daniel. That's a new segment. We're going to call this one Junt Daniel. Maybe I'll go Jump Daniel. Sing long songs with Andrew. sounds... I don't like the way it sounds. Okay, anyway. Today we're going to play... 
You know how in Stump Daniel I like to have different versions of it? Yes. Well, this one has a version, a category, and an addition. Because we can't just have Stump Daniel. So this is going to be Soft Toss. That's the version okay. of Stump Daniel. Whew, okay. The segment is Stump Daniel. Oh, the version is Soft Toss. You didn't give me any lead up. This I time. didn't want to because I knew you would be informed about these things. Okay. okay. The category is called <laughs> Should We Be Worried? Okay. And the edition is the Mariner's edition. So welcome oh. to the Mariner's edition of Soft Toss. This explains why you didn't have Mariners in the, yeah. in the show sheet. So I'm going to throw out four different topics. And you will get a ding if you get the correct, or if you make a good point, you get a ding. Okay. If you make a bad point, you get a wah-wah. And I will keep track, probably, and then just make up a score at the end. That okay. checks out. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> so, Daniel, Did your you first topic... Mariners outfielder Taylor Trammell has struck out 22 times in 42 at-bats this season. Daniel, should we be worried about Taylor Trammell? Yes. <laughs> Bing! Whoops! Uh, <laughs> hey, what? I'm getting... What's going on? Okay, so... Taylor Trammell is so... is struggling so much out of the gate. I'm worried I'm that like he is... <laughs> What's going on? I'm struggling out of the gate too. <laughs> Andrew is the I've Taylor Trammell of, of the show today. I've got a lot of sympathy. He showed up looking like pig pen with dirt <laughs> all over his clothes, 25 minutes late, and it's just been a crap show ever since then. Downhill from there. Taylor Trammell is struggling. It is something to be worried a little bit about, but because they've had some different injuries in the outfield, he's going to get all the time in the world to try and come out of this. He's showed some good signs. He's had some wah, wah. big situations where he's come through. You wouldn't know. You haven't seen any of this. And I have been really excited by some of the things that I've seen from him, and they need him to play center field right now with no Kyle Lewis and also Jake Fraley's hurt. But you know what all of this is telling me? Get Jared Kelenic up in the freaking pros already! Bing! Ooh, you snuck Kelenic in at the end to get an extra point there. <laughs> I know you did that just for the point. Okay, you got three pings and two wah-wahs that time. Andrew accidentally clicked the wah-wah, but I'm still counting it. Alright. You also got a buzzer. So you're... <laughs> the buzzer counts as negative two, so actually you went from being up one to being down one. Alright? Killing me. Killing me. Next, next uh, topic of conversation here. Going into this weekend, Mariners' first baseman, Evan White, had struck out 91 times in 210 career big league at-bats. Mike Zunino, who has been widely criticized for strikeouts, <laughs> only struck out 49 times in his first 173 big league at-bats. Daniel, should we be worried about Evan White? We should be worried about Evan White, Bing. but he has started to pick things up lately. He is... This is kind of sad to say, but he has risen his batting average to 222 now. He is actually one for two again today. He came up with a big home run when they were down by one in the eighth the other night in their comeback victory over the Astros. Their fifth comeback victory of the season so far as they are just the comeback kids. The thing about Evan White is differing from Mike Zanino is Mike Zanino got surprisingly, more time in the minor leagues than Evan White did. I know that we all say that Zanino was rushed up, but not to the amount that Evan White was. Evan White didn't even got his long contract and was immediately rushed up to the pros. So I think they're going to give him, as we've seen, a longer leash. 
Not good, Daniel. You're down two on that one as this well. This doesn't help when you're like, you just want me to say everybody sucks without <laughs> watching a game. He figured it out. He doesn't, yeah. he, not Kelnick. I think he wants you to say Kelnick's awesome and yeah. would solve it. Mention Kelnick in a positive way and you'll get an extra ding every time. Okay. You got two more categories. You're in the negative three right now. Yeah. Mariners pitcher Marco Gonzalez allowed 12 earned runs on 17 <laughs> hits, including five dingers, in just 10 and a third innings during his first two starts this season. Daniel, should we be worried about Marco? Uh, no, he took a little bit of time to get adjusted on the start. Wah, wah. He had a great third start, and everything looked back to normal. It started a little rocky, but after the first inning, he retired something like 12 out of 13 batters in a row. He totally looks back and wah, fine. Wah. You see struggles every now and then from any player at the beginner of a, beginning of a season. That third start where it looked like he was back on top of his game, dominating people, has me not worried about Marco Gonzalez. We have too much of a track record with this guy to be well, worried about two bad starts. Don't give me track record. I want to know what happened this year. Yeah, and I told you this year he retired 12 out of 13 batters in a row. Well, two-thirds of his starts have been poopy poopy, but <laughs> butt soup. So They were in the first two games. He's fine. No, you can't. Okay, well, you got two dings, but neither of them were from me. Both of them were just from our rogue pig pen producer over there. You're still in the negative by four total. Okay. Uh, Last category. This is, it's like I'm talking to like a Yankees fan or something. Uh, you should just score some points on this one. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried that? Have you tried just scoring some points, Daniel? Mariners outfielder. Kyle Lewis has missed the first 15. Oh, actually, I guess if he didn't play today, that'd be 16. The first 16 games of the season with a mysterious mid-leg injury. Daniel, should we, we be worried about the 2020s AL Rookie of the Year? How much are you not paying attention? What do you mean mysterious <laughs> mid-leg injury? We know what this injury is. What, what? He went crashing into a fence and bruised his knee. So mid leg is knee. That's yes. what I, I was like. Wait, why are you giving knee? him a point for mid leg? I'm pu I put mid leg in the. No, question. he told me that mid leg was the knee. Oh. Oh my god. Which Isn't is the knee. Well, the that was my guess. Yeah. yeah. No, I was. You said mysterious mid leg, and I was like, is that his knee, Daniel? <laughs> yes, we should be worried that he's not back yet. But mysterious <laughs> mid leg injury. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? What? But how does this impact Kellenic? <laughs> Bring him up already! Bing! <laughs> Jeez. Is that your final answer? <laughs> <laughs> you They're finished like... with a score of negative four, Daniel, even though you broke even on the last one. Broke <laughs> Two good points, and two bad points the, about Kyle Lewis. And, Jared Kelnick, Jared Kelnick, Jared Kelnick, Jared Kelnick. <laughs> bing, 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 bing! Hey, hey you broke you're at zero. Congratulations. I also lifted up my arms and stepped in. <laughs> oh, that's on me. I was supposed to remind you not to do that. <laughs> you Daniel. have a mysterious side torso injury. <laughs> All right, is that it? Are we done? Yes. <laughs> Mysterious. <laughs> oh god. I was so proud of my description of his injury. His mysterious mid-leg injury. <laughs> I knew I would get you with that. What do you mean mysterious injury? We watched him crash into a wall. 
<sighs> that, okay. that, that episode of Stump Daniel. Yes, is brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. Thank you again for that sponsorship. We greatly appreciate it. The show is also brought to you by Oli Penn Real Estate, which is the sponsor of another segment that's coming up later, but not now, because now, Justin, let's talk before we get out of Mariners again. You... So you've looked at I'm, what I'm noticing from you is you've looked at a bunch of stats without watching any games and probably haven't even looked at their record so far. Uh, no, I know what their record was because you took a snapshot of it and sent it to us, didn't you? Yes. So they were in first place recently, yes. despite having a negative <laughs> run diff. Yes, <laughs> they do have a negative run diff, but I mean, it's early in the year, of course. They exceeded expectations through the first 15 games or so. Yes. Yeah. And you picked... I don't know. So, you know, this is what I do for you, Daniel, because I worry (laughs) about you getting your hopes up. So I saw that. Oh, man. Mariners are in first place. I better do a super negative Mariners stump Daniel this week because I, as a friend, I need to be there to help keep you grounded because I care about you. Okay. Well, when they take two of three from the Astros in this series, then... You know, I'll just hang my hat on that. Is that the prediction? Is it one? What's one and one right now, right? Yep. And they're currently down two to one, but. So they're not going to take two. Wait, aren't the Astros missing a bunch of but guys the, for the comeback for co- kids? I think that I heard that the Astros are missing a bunch of their best players because of contact <laughs> tracing, and they still lost to them yesterday. <laughs> but they're. We're, uh, we're they're missing. They're going against Zach Greinke, okay? And yeah, we're missing Kyle Lewis and Kyle Lewis. Yeah. And Kelnick. And Kelnick. <laughs> yeah, because of stupid tracing, because they won't bring him up to the freaking pros. Yeah. I think they're playing guys like Sam Haggerty and another dude who's not Isn't in the Isn't that a country today. singer? Yeah. You want to talk about a bright spot for the Mariners? Yes. And the bright spot isn't even a guy that's playing well who's probably going to be part of your championship team in three years. Your best player on offense has been Mitch Hamburger. (laughs) He has been good. He has been good. I'm not sure if I'd call him the best. He has been good. Ty France has also been really good. Mm -hmm. Those two guys would be, I mean, both of those guys would be the best so far. So, yeah. Kyle Seeger's been been starting off hotter than he's ever started, hasn't he? He's the notorious bad starter, and he's been good. Yeah, he's been good too. But the the crazy thing is, is how they've been able to win because you're right. I mean, the worrying thing is their lineup is riddled with just absolute trash when it comes to batting averages. So Dylan Moore's hitting 130. I'm worried about him, that that was a flash in the pan last year. Uh, Tom Murphy, who, I mean, he was seen to be this great hitting catcher, but now he's struggling. He's still only hitting 148. And as you mentioned, Taylor Trammell, not starting off well. He's only hitting 140. So it's it's not looking great. J.P. Crawford, though, has picked it up since the start of the season. He's now hitting 269. And if a gold glove shortstop can hit 269, I'd be totally happy with that. Uh, Mitch Hamburger is leading the team with a 328 <laughs> batting average. He's also leading the team in home runs with four. Mm-hmm. Um, the only guy who has more RBI or RSBI is Seeger. Seeger has 12. Hamburger has 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and France. Uh, France has been really good, too. He's batting 286 and two home runs and seven RSBI. So yeah. th- those three guys have really been 
the driving force that has carried the Mariners' offense. And I have been paying attention. <laughs> I haven't been watching, but I have been paying attention. I, I don't know. I still, I'm still not sure. Just because you could read off some stats, which aren't actually current as well. So I, this is on what. the this is on the ESPN. I know, ESPN but you didn't bring page. up the box score of the current game, so they've all changed <laughs> during this game. I'm sorry. Oh, you're right. I apologize. My mistake. I thought it was. I listened to both games of the most recent doubleheader, and I thought I absolutely was super excited to see Gonzalez and uh, Dunn both pitch really well. Mm-hmm. That's I, thought for that, sure. I thought that was sweet. Yeah, I think especially because hearing the commentary about Dunn afterwards was his previous start was eight walks, eight. and it was like he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't throw a strike. Yeah. And in this one, they were all saying, man, it seemed like he really had – I mean, he always has good stuff. That's never the question. Uh, but it was, man, he really seemed to have control of the strike zone. Really have seemed to have command of the ball, so I think and, that was a positive. Sign. And that was in spite of the umpire not giving him some close stuff. Like he had an early walk that was questionable on the balls, mm-hmm. so that was kind of cool too. Oh, by the way, um, last week in Stump Daniel, when I was listening to it, I got every single one right. So good job, thank you. I would expect nothing less. Daniel of you. got so many wrong, but when I was listening to it, every time I would say the answers out loud, every single one was right. Everyone. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Does anybody else doubt that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, uh, Justin's always been entirely honest with us, yeah. Daniel. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the next topic of discussion, we're going to shift, shift, shh, Sorry. I don't know. It sounded weird when I said it the first time. Uh, we're going to shift to Seahawks. And we saw a report come out about how they are all going to skip OTAs. I don't understand why. Can somebody tell me why? Yeah. Why? So the Seahawks are not alone in this. Um, There have been, the last time I heard, there were three or four teams who had already announced they were doing it. Basically, it's the union asking them to do this in response to the fact that the schedule has been expanded to 17 games. But so it's like, didn't hey, they negotiate you, that so, into like, yes, which is the best <laughs> argument is that, Hey, you guys had a chance. It's like, Oh my post, gosh. It's like post contract negotiation negotiations. So the negotiation initially was that owners have the right to go to 17 games. If they want to players generally did not want to do that. But you know how negotiations work is like you're not going to get everything you want, so you give up things here and there, and you have certain things that are more important to you than others, and the, the players' union decided that the 17-game schedule was something that they were willing to make a sacrifice so they could get something else that they wanted. So now, after the contract is already signed, it certainly seems like this is a coordinated effort to be like, okay, fine, you want us to put our bodies through a 17th regular season game, then... We're going to skip this thing that is negotiated as optional. Like, it is literally optional. That you is, don't have to go to it. That is what the it. O stands yeah, for. Yeah, so we're going to say, that's okay. We'll, we're just going to skip these these uh, practices. It's optional practices. I don't understand this stance because these optional practices are not revenue generating for the teams at all. Mm-hmm. So... How is this hurting the owners? It's not. It's really not. So, so yeah, what's the what's the point here? The only point is you're not getting as good as you can. 
all through last year, we heard that oh, was that really... hurts the owner, the specific owners a little yeah. bit. Like your team isn't going to be as good now. Well, all we heard was, oh, it was really hard. You know, we couldn't work together. Yeah, we couldn't do this. We couldn't do this. Oh, we have to play an extra game. Let's take a stand that won't affect the owner's pocketbooks at all and make ourselves worse, which we also <laughs> complained about having to do all of last year. And some guys were even, you know, cheating. Maybe not cheating, but pulling a Brady and having everybody go to a field and, you know, go places because they thought it was this important to go do things and get together. But now we're not going to do that. Isn't it? Isn't that the funny part about it, it though? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't it sense. seem highly likely that since Russ has like his own training facility, <laughs> that there's going to be a doing... high number of Seahawks that are going down there to work out anyway? Mandatory yeah. non-team activities. Russ <laughs> <But laughs> mandated. The veteran players in general, I think there's been a changing of the times where they kind of prefer to just choose who they work out with and how they work out on their own. Like a lot of veteran players have been skipping most of OTAs anyway. Yeah. The hard part about this for me is that there are a lot of guys who are on the lower end of the wage scale and who are fighting for spots who need that yes. practice time and face time with coaches. And also in addition to that, they get like a thousand dollar stipend per week by participating in OTAs. So some of these guys who aren't making quite as much money or haven't gotten their bag yet, those guys are dependent on that money. So <clears throat> the fact that it's a unified stance is what seems weird to me. And I wonder if they will continue to actually be in solidarity over this or if there's going to be some guys that are like, ah, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to go. Because some guys' careers might hinge on whether or not they can make a good impression during the OTAs. Exactly. And, and they need to learn. They need to learn the pro game. Especially when you have a new coach, too. We have yeah. a new offensive coordinator. Yeah. Like... I would want the offense to be there learning as much as possible about the new coach and what they're going to do. Well, they'll have training camp and they'll have mandatory practices. I mean, the I guess the bottom line is that these trainings are, are all optional. But to me, they could have said, okay, well, there's a bunch of us that are not going to go. I didn't really understand why it has to be the whole team so that the younger guys, the newer guys, the guys who aren't on the top end of the scale would feel like... Russ doesn't have to go. Yeah. No. You know, like, all DK, Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner, like these guys who are secure in their positions and know their jobs and they've been around for at least a couple seasons, they don't really need to go. But there's going to totally be a fine. lot of guys that would would and should want to go. Exactly. I I just still don't understand what the point is though cuz you can't possibly it's not giving you any leverage. None. There's no you're not getting anything from it. You're basically just saying meh. Like what what <laughs> possible sorry what possible utility is this serving in the player's interest? If there was if there was some kind of leverage involved then I would understand that hey, you know what? Take one take one for the team. It's everybody's going to be better off if in a strike. If there were a player strike, which I honestly thought there probably should have been during negotiations last the last negotiations because I think the NFLPA basically bends over for the owners, uh, but if there was a, if there was a strike, it would be interesting. But I would understand why 
the players would be unified and and like they're all trying to work together to make everyone better off. This isn't that. They're not getting anything from this other than making themselves worth worse off in comparison to the teams that are going to show up to OTAs. So I'll pick a random guy. And this is not I don't know anything about this person or their relationship with Russ. But let's say since Russ is like the leader of the team, he's the quarterback, he's the most most well-known guy. If Russell calls Alton Robinson, who was a rookie who got four sacks last year, mm-hmm. and is like, hey, man, we're trying to get everybody together. We want to be in solidarity. We're going to skip OTAs. Do you think Alton Robinson wants to skip OTAs? The Seahawks just signed a billion defensive ends, and he's going to be fighting for a position, and he's only been around for one year. He needs to learn. He needs to develop. I think he would want to go. So that's why that that part of this to me is weird, because like Andrew said, the negotiation tactic is basically nil. Like, you don't... You, the only people who are going to be upset about this are the coaches in the front office, not the owners, because you're not yeah. you're you're making things more difficult for your for your coaching staff and for your football operations, but not the people who are making money. They don't care about this at all. Yeah. and it's making a certain demographic of guys who would be, I'm not going to say they're vulnerable because they're all making plenty of money, but the more vulnerable guys who haven't made as much money yet and still have to prove is, themselves for their career, they're, they're, they're the ones though? who are getting hurt. Because they're is, vulnerable roster-wise. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. there's aren't I mean, guys that are on the bubble, it, playing on a if you're bouncing around on practice squads, you're not make you're making a lot of money for a, a desk week. job. Oh, yeah, for a week, but you're also traveling around. You're living out of either living rooms or 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 you know yeah, long I'm, long stay hotels. Like it's not it depends on whether you're, it is. You don't I, save much of that. I, I'm. I think what Justin was talking about was more low guys on the roster. Right. Right. But we're not even thinking about the practice squad guys. I mean, that's another point because those guys. You're right. Like it's, it's like hard. if the guys that are fighting to be on the roster, they. They're not making much money as far as and 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 if they don't make that roster and they don't get picked up immediately on somebody's practice squad, they're not making any money. And so, then they're trying to, you know, get with their uncle's car dealership. So like M- Michael Bumpus, for example, who is a he's a local radio guy now. He used to play professional football. He played. I think he said he played four the years. The voice of reason on yeah. 710. He's, yeah. he's the best. I, I really enjoy him. But he played. I think he said he played four years of professional football. And he was like, hey, I was that guy. I was the guy who was fighting for a spot. I was the guy who was fighting for playing time. And I wanted to be at OTAs to get better, but also because I needed that stipend. Yeah. And he was like, back then, I think it was $800 a week or something. And he was like, I needed that. That was the money that I used to pay my rent and buy my groceries and live off of. So I think this is a, it's an interesting move to me because of the people who will be hurt by this. And it actually strikes me as, like, Andrew, you were talking about during negotiations, labor negotiations last time. All the guys who make the most money who are secure were the ones who were stepping up saying, this is not a good deal. Yeah. But the guys who were like, no, we need to play so I can make my money now. Like, those are the guys who wanted this deal to yeah. happen, and that's the majority of players in the in the union. Yeah. Which, that is, uh, taking a step back, that is, I think, the primary reason why the NFLPA is so weak mm-hmm. in comparison to other sports leagues is because what is it three and a half years is the average uh mm-hmm. average career so the the majority of players they can't afford to look long term right 
and you have to get a certain you have to play a certain amount to be like vested in the union or whatever it's called so guys are trying to get to that amount of games as well um but like in baseball you're not protected by the union until you have a major league contract all of the minor league players like the guys that would be on the fringe trying to fight for roster spots they're all completely unprotected by the that's union. true so the the major league baseball players union doesn't have that same problem yeah yeah I think we about exhausted that topic. Yeah, so let's... <laughs> I see both of you guys just look at me. Like, well, we're, we're going to do Athlete sorry, of the I Week. Was... That's okay. We're going to do Athlete of the Week. We're going to give a local sports roundup. And we have a couple of topics we'll talk about more briefly. One involves Alex Rodriguez and one involves Boo. Julian Edelman. So stick with us, but first, we're going to take a break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. Thank you to our sponsors, the Law Office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz, as well as the sponsor of this next segment, our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. And we got multiple for you again today. Lots going on in high school sports, so let's get to it. And I'll start things off. My Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week is Hoquiam runner Timmy Higgins. He won two events in his track meet this week on Tuesday at Adna. Timmy won the 800-meter and the 1600-meter events. Excellent day for Timmy. And I got to say, I mean, two distant events seems like a tough thing to do in a track meet because, I don't know, I feel like you'd be tired after the first one. Whichever one came first. I would be tired about a quarter of the way through the first one. I'm tired just thinking about one of them. (laughs) So it's impressive to me, too, is because this... This isn't straight distance. This is the that weird middle range for the at least the eight hundred curvy distance. And, no, oh come on. The, <laughs> I thought. I'm so sorry. What I'm saying is, it's not like just the long, long distance where it's just the guys who set a pace and okay. kind of run with it. Okay. But the eight hundred meter, those That's guys move pretty quick. Two times around the track. It's two times around the track. So it's and, like extended sprint. Basically. Yeah. So you yeah. see the four hundred meter people are almost sprinting in the four hundred, mm-hmm. even in in high school track. They're almost sprinting around. Usually finishing a good time will be anywhere in the fifties, and the eight hundred meter is just a little bit of an extension to that. So it's impressive to me to win. It's very, I mean, to win any event, but the eight hundred and the sixteen hundred. That's not just purely long distance running. You're kind of in that middle range where you have to have a bit of a kick as well. So. Yeah. And we, I mean, we saw Timmy was winning, uh, cro- forgot the name of the sport for a second, <laughs> cross country meets for Hoquiam as well, yes. um, along with his uh, female counterpart, Valerie Roloff. They mm-hmm. were a pretty dynamic duo through cross country season. So it's not surprising to see Timmy winning the long distance runs. But like you mentioned, Daniel, that 800 meter. There's a little bit more of a kick to that. So congratulations to Timmy on that accomplishment. Absolutely. So, Timmy, you are my Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. What is 800 meters in a real unit of measurement? Is it a half a mile? (laughs) So 
So four times it, around the track is a mile, right? Uh, not exactly anymore. Okay. So, wait, is it? I don't know. How does meters translate to a mile? Hold on. I don't know. I don't know. That's why I asked. Because well, the... I was like, why are we measuring in meters? <laughs> now we have to look <laughs> this is, up. This is sports, not science. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about a half a mile. It's 4.97 miles. So okay. F- so four times, the 1600. Wait, wait, wait 0. 0.4? 0. 0.497. Did you I say four point? point? I'm sorry. Was, yeah, yeah. So the 1600, which is four times around the track, would be like just under a mile. Just okay, like, cool. That's a long ways. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of meters. Andrew, would you like to do your athlete of the uh, week next? Sure. Uh, my athlete for the purposes of this segment, <laughs> is Miguel, Miguel Martinez. He uh, scored two goals playing soccer or association football, the one that we fixed. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, he, he, he scored two goals and an assist uh, for the Bobcats in a 6-1 to win over Black Hills on Friday. Uh, so dominated them. So you definitely read that wrong because it was a six to nothing win over Black what Hills I say? on Friday. Six, six to, to one. one. Oh. I think he was meaning to say six to none. Six to six ah. nil. Six, six nil. nil. It was there a six, six nil. Zero. Six I, nil victory over Black Hills on Friday. So basically this Miguel, is just my protest at being forced to pick a athlete of the week. The the Aberdeen Bobcats boys soccer team is so far they so far they're undefeated in league play. And uh, Miguel was in some way involved in three out of six goals in that dominating win over Black Hills. Yeah, and I was looking through a couple of their other game recaps, and Miguel's name comes up often. Whether it's assists or goals, he had a heck of a week this week. I'm pretty sure that he had more goals and assists in in another game that they played this week as well. So a huge week for him. And, yeah, just that team is absolutely on a roll right now. And that's another one of these programs that you wish you could see him get into a playoff situation this year. So Miguel Martinez of Aberdeen Bobcats Association <laughs> football team. You are the, Andrew Gross's. The girls, the girls' soccer teams had a had I, playoffs, I really right? was setting that up really nicely, wasn't I? The girls' soccer teams had playoffs, right? <laughs> you're right. Yeah. They, are they are they the boys' get, soccer teams going to get anything? You're probably right. There probably will be a district tournament. Okay. Well, that's cool. It's yeah. better than football got. I was trying to do yeah. it for you, so now you have to do it. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Miguel Martinez for scoring two goals and recording an assist against the Black Hills when they destroyed them six nothing. You are Andrew Gross's and the scrimmages Oli Pin athlete of the week. Just making it so much fun for my video editing. Later. Mine was better. I'm just gonna say <laughs> the one that Andrew talked over that I was doing was way better than what he just did. Okay. FYI. Okay. okay. So for my Oli Penn real estate athlete of the week, I only pick Bulldogs. So I'm going to go with Montesano softball's Jessica Stanfield <laughs> in a double header on Saturday. Jessica went five for six combined in the two games, which Montesano won 11 to one and 17 to nothing. Whew. So she went five for six at the plate with a home run, three runs scored and four RBIs. Um, Thursday, the Bulldogs lost to defending state champ Adna and Stanfield led the way going two for four with a home run and two runs scored and also two steals in that game as well. So definitely not her fault that they lost. Um, but <laughs> Jessica just uh, coming from a, a long line of very athletic girls from the Stanfield family and definitely playing extremely well in softball right now. I just remembered that her older sister, Samantha, 
is playing softball at Central. So she's playing college softball right now, nice, which is yeah. one that we have not updated yet this season. So now I feel bad for not giving Samantha a <laughs> shout out. But I did look up uh, Samantha has a 3.14 ERA nice. in uh, at Central so far. But for this week, Samantha Stanfield for your performance in the doubleheader victory. You just said Samantha. I did? Yeah. It's Jessica. Boy, I really, I really Andrewed this. <laughs> so Jessica Stanfield, for your performance in the doubleheader victories over Elma, you um, had went five for six in those games, and also for how solid you were in the loss to Adna Jessica Stanfield. You are, did I say it that time, Jessica? Jessica yes. Stanfield. You are our only. It, there's so many Stanfield girls, like it gets confusing <laughs> all the way down the list. Okay, Jessica Stanfield, you are our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. What a beauty. <laughs> I feel like I nailed that. This is going to be a I great... feel like you did, too. This, Thank these you, videos are, These videos are going to be great. Yeah. Okay, so we got our Athletes of the Week out of the way. Any, you guys not going to try and ruin anything else? <laughs> not yet. Give me time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so let's get into some of our local sports roundup. We'll start with baseball and this was a crazy game between <laughs> Elma and Montesano. What the heck happened? 20 runs were scored over the final two innings as Montesano beat Elma 13-11 to in an extra inning victory. It was even. Yeah. In, it wasn't just one side that fell apart. No, it was crazy. <laughs> so this game was, what, tied at like four or something? Going I think it was tied at... Two at one point. Was it tied at two Late going in the game into the last was... inning? Okay, so you're right. It was tied at two going into like the last inning. And then Montesano scored a bunch of runs. And then Elma answered with the same amount to force it to extra innings. It was nuts. <laughs> yeah, so Tyler Johansson, who is a freshman, but if you look at him, he's the size of a large adult. Because um, I swear <laughs> the kid is like six foot four and pretty well built. But Tyler uh, is in my son's class, so I know him very well. And he pitched 4.1 innings. Tyler, if you guys haven't watched Tyler pitch, he is a fireballer. He's like a, he's got the, he's a big lefty with a big whip like Randy Johnson. He just whips his arm through and you can't barely catch up with his fastball if he gets it in the zone. Um, But he pitched 4.1 innings and allowed only two unearned runs on three hits. Um, Isaiah Pierce also for the Bulldogs was the best offensive player going three for five with two doubles, three runs, and two RBIs. RSBI. That's, that's heck, Sorry. It's a heck of a game there by those two kids. And uh, I always thought it was weird when I saw 4.1 when it came to innings pitched because yeah. it's four and a third. Yeah, four and a third. Yeah. yeah. So I always thought that looked weird. Like it it yeah. twists my brain a little bit. Well, it's that's it. not a correct AP style to put 4.1. You would put four and one dash three. Okay. But that makes sense. usually I type it as 4.1, but I read it out loud as four and a third. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So then we'll move on to softball. A <laughs> couple of different things to get to. We'll get to uh, Montesano with uh, Jessica Stanfield's performance that we mentioned earlier. But first, Hoquiam beat to 904-3 on Friday, improving to 4-4 four and four in league play. Ella Folkers scored the winning run in the bottom of the sixth when she hit a triple and then scored on an air. So well done there. And then I think to 9 might have got them in the other game of that doubleheader. They did, but I was only putting positive things in the recap, Daniel. Oh, sorry. 
Um, Montesano, we already mentioned this with our Jessica Stanfield Athlete of the Week, but Montesano beat Elma in a doubleheader on Friday, 11 to one and 17 to nothing. Montesano improved to eight and zero in league play with those wins. And uh, also another notable performance there was Zoe Leisherness going five for seven with a home run, a double, and six RBIs in those two games. Yeah, that might have been a snub. Sorry, RBI. That might have. That, this is this isn't it, the first angry. time we've we've snubbed Zoe either. <laughs> but and you, I hey pre-show I brought Zoe up and you said no. So you, hey, well, I was like, what about Zoe? And you were like, no. Throw me under the bus there. Okay. Sheesh. All right, in boys soccer. I'm so angry when you said it, too. I know. We already mentioned Aberdeen's uh, stellar run for boys soccer. They are undefeated. They continued that with a win over Black Hills. In track, okay, in track, Hoke Williams girls scored 144 team points to win a meet at Adna on Tuesday. Individual winners for Hoke Williams included Jennifer Cole, Valerie Roloff, Jane Roloff, Cameron Crone, and Sharia Bryden. Tiara Straka added wins in both the shot put and the discus. Two Hoquiam boys came out with wins. We already mentioned Timmy, Hicken, Timmy Higgins, who notched victories in the 800 and the 1600. And his brother, Conlon Higgins, took the 3200. So we have a... It was Higgins boys. Dynamic duo. Higgins boys and roll-off girls yeah. are apparently track stars as those sibling sets have done a great job in the distance running. The so Higgins boys year. are young, too. That's a, okay. that's a freshman and a sophomore. Really? Yeah. Wow. So they're gonna be, we're going to be calling their names for a long time. Oh, yeah. That is going to do it for our locals. Definitely in long distance running. <laughs> and maybe in some real sports, too. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> we know if we keep bringing it up, he'd uh, slip up there. I said I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for our... Sorry, Timmy. Sorry, Conlon. And sorry, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Valerie. Okay. So let's move on now. We got a couple of interesting topics here. This one just puts a weird taste in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did... How does... This theory coming up. What Give so, us the background on it. So this. Julian Edelman announced his retirement last week. Oh, we're jumping to that one. Oh, what were you going to... What were we looking at? The one that gives me a weird taste in my mouth is... Oh, the, the thing that, that's next on the show sheet. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why you might want to do that one next. So Alex Rodriguez uh, is buying the Minnesota Timberwolves and also, I guess, the um, WNBA affiliate i don't remember what it's called but he's part of a team he has a like massive billionaire partner and the two of them are buying the minnesota timberwolves immediately rumors start swirling the links thank you yeah rumors start swirling that oh man the timberwolves are being sold because usually what happens is like i mean seattle fans know this well when a team is sold and they're in a place that's um dealing with some issues and in seattle it was a wide variety of issues in minnesota it's just that they don't really care about basketball that much and they can get into a bigger market people think people immediately jump to oh man that's going to be the future supersonics seattle fans got excited every time so this topic came up that although i personally feel like it's very unlikely that (laughs) the minnesota timberwolves are going to be moved to seattle Um, people keep saying, well, it's written into the agreement. They're not allowed to move. It's written into the agreement. They're not allowed to move. 
there's going to be a way around that if things go wrong. Like, the, the reason why the Sonics got moved from Seattle, technically, was the arena. Like, they wanted a new arena. The city said, no, we're not paying for an arena. And most people felt like that was just an excuse, that they wanted to move them anyway. Yeah. But they could make something up in Minnesota. Like, oh, here's this problem that you're not going to fix. We're going to move because of it. So I believe that it could happen, but I think it's unlikely to happen. And I think primarily it's because the NBA would rather, rather than go through what they went through with Seattle fans and Seattle media, where now like basically there's a big chunk of the country that hates the NBA and boycotts the NBA. And that's real. Like people here really do that. Yep. People who used to care about NBA basketball now completely don't. Mm Mm-hmm. They would rather expand into Seattle than move a team into Seattle. So I don't think it's very likely. But let's say just for the purpose of this exercise, A-Rod did bring NBA basketball back to Seattle. Would he redeem himself in the eyes of Seattle fans? Daniel, you're probably the most in this. Because when A-Rod was here, I had just moved here. Yeah. Um, Andrew didn't really care too much about sports at that point. Were you were you in this the A Rod thing? Like, did you have animosity? Yes. Okay. I didn't care deeply about sports, but I followed the Mariners since '95. You also never cared about the NBA. Never. I actively disliked the NBA. Okay. So Daniel, in your mind, would A-Rod I would hate A Rod re- more if he brought the Timberwolves <laughs> to Seattle? Would A Rod if he brought the Sonics back to Seattle? Would he redeem himself in your eyes? Uh, this one's... I, I'm still not the perfect person to ask this because, as you know, I've always been a Blazers fan. <laughs> yeah. He would... He would... He would kind of redeem himself a little bit to me because then the Blazers would have their rival back in the Northwest. I loved watching the Sonics and the Blazers play. Gary Payton even though he wasn't a Blazer, was my favorite player of all time. So I was really upset, just not as much as other people were because my team didn't leave. So I didn't have didn't have to be too upset. Uh, A-Rod left a team that then won 116 games. And if A-Rod had still been there... Just mashing baseballs. That team that needed a superstar to step up and hit a dinger in a big moment against the Yankees when they lost in the playoffs, I think they would have won that series. And then for him to move to a garbage team, just chase the money, and then go to the Yankees... <laughs> and he's going to have to do a lot more than bring an NBA team back to Seattle. That's that's my opinion. I had to work my way through that. No, I don't think that would fully redeem himself. It would be a start, and then he would have to build like 12 hospitals or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that the, the story of A-Rod leaving is really the crucial thing here because players leave teams all the time. Great players leave teams all the time. Yes. And a lot of times and a lot of times it's about money. It's where you go get the best offer. Yeah. People don't always have the same kind of animosity towards all those players that Seattle fans do towards A-Rod, but there's a couple reasons why his is specifically worse than others. And one is because he said pre-negotiations hey, this is going to be about baseball. This is not going to be about money. He said that. Yes. He said it's not going to be about the money. Yep. And then afterwards, 
he bashed the Mariners and said, well, hey, I would have come back to Seattle, but they weren't really serious about pursuing me. They weren't serious about signing me. And then there was a whole bunch of other little things that he did. Like one thing I remember very specifically is like when Boeing, which has been like one of the most, uh, one of the biggest companies that Seattle has that creates all kinds of good jobs for people there. When Boeing was considering moving to another state that there was some kind of little pitch that A-Rod made where he said something like, hey, I moved to Texas to prosper myself and you could do the same or something like There's been all these little things that A-Rod did to just needle Seattle fans. Yep. So you have this extreme level of animosity towards this guy who was one of the greatest baseball players in your franchise's history. And it's unlike most fan bases feel towards most former players. I think A-Rod bringing basketball back to Seattle, he would... If he really did this, I'm the face of the move. Like, yeah. he can't be in the background. It can't just be his name there. His face would have to be out there. He'd have to be at the games. He'd have to be in the community. He'd have to build 12 hospitals. But if he did those <laughs> things, like if he re-ingrained himself into Seattle culture and Seattle sports culture, and more importantly, if he came out and said, hey, you know, back then when I was kind of young and I did a lot, that, that was pretty crappy. I shouldn't have done that. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I shouldn't have done that. I do think bringing the Sonics back to Seattle would be something that could potentially redeem him, but it would be one of the greatest redemption stories in American history. It would be... I'm not sure about greatest, maybe longest shot. Well, I only care I about sports, so he would also, any other redemption story that's outside of sports doesn't matter to me. He would also have to somehow get back together with Jennifer Lopez. And they're not going to yeah, a Seattle. lot of people are upset about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that would have yeah. to be part of it. All right, I can we stop talking about A-Rod? Can I say one more thing about A-Rod? Barf. Isn't it amazing, the redemption story he already has? He was a Major League Baseball outcast, and now he's one of the most famous faces of the league. Like, he's one of the primary analysts. It's crazy to me. I still dislike his personality. He's such... He's... he. Have I already said this? On, I, you told me. I'm not sure. He's an said. oily used car salesman. That is the That is what he projects that I pick up. I don't like it at all, honestly. I don't and, think I've ever bought a car from someone who I would describe as oily. <laughs> I know. I don't buy cars from used car salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to this next one. Julian Edelman is retiring from the NFL. Gosh, we're just talking about people that we don't like. What's going on? I, I don't think Why Julian, do we care? Yeah, I'm wondering. So I just thought this conversation is interesting because, like, immediately... He announces his retirement, and the conversation that's been on the back burner on a whole bunch of radio shows for the last couple years is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Because in his career, he is second in playoff receiving yards only to Jerry Rice. And because he has some really iconic moments, specifically in playoff games and against the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, he has some like really great iconic catches in playoff history. So if you just look at his stats in the regular season, he doesn't even come close to stacking up. He's never even made a made a Pro Bowl. Like, but because he's one of the most prolific playoff wide receivers in the history of the game, does he belong in the Hall of Fame? Isn't like half of that just because he was in the playoffs so many times? Not half of that. I would say all of that. All of that is because he was in the playoffs so many times. And on a team that won the Super Bowl at a 
rate that is just insane. Yeah, you're I right. So know. deep, not just in the playoffs, but deep in the playoffs. Yeah. I think the combination it's, in a lot of people's are, eyes of the, the – because he, he does have an accumulation of stats. He also has pretty good per-game stats in the playoffs. And just because some of the performances – like he has a, a Super Bowl MVP. Some of the performances and individual plays he's made at crucial spots in playoff games and Super Bowls are like iconic. Are, so are we it's, giving it's, Eli Hall of Fame cred? I think Eli's going to make the Hall of Fame. Because if we if if you tell me that Eli is making the Hall of Fame, then Julian Edelman's in because we're just giving anybody who who looks good in the playoffs the we, Hall of Fame. But we measure quarterbacks by victories different than we mission than we measure any other position. Well, I, I, I still I kind of like what Andrew's saying though. If if Peyton Manning, I mean if Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, then I think Julian Edelman should be a Hall of Famer. Because it's it, if you're, you're going on that metric, you're basing if Hall of it Famer on is supposed to be postseason it, performance. Yeah, but if Hall of Famer is what I think it should be, and is you are the greatest at your position in your era, or one of the greatest, then that's what I think of Hall of Famer. So by that metric, Julian Edelman is not the greatest receiver or one of the guys you think of as the best receiver during his era. I don't think at any point in his career that. He would have been considered even a top ten receiver. You could, I agree. You could maybe get him in the top ten if you like said like white slot receivers. <laughs> un, is he under six feet? Probably. I feel like he's a smaller guy yeah. too. Like small white slot receivers. He was probably in. He was probably in the top five. He's not even. Actually, he was probably the best. I he, can't think of another one. <laughs> he's, he's not even the best white slot receiver that Tom Brady has had on the Patriots. That, Oh, you mean Wes Welker is the dropping dropper? Wes Welker, the dropping dropper who dropped things and was part of all of the worst iconic moments of their Super Bowl runs. Yeah, that guy was better than Julian Edelman. He he definitively was better statistically than Julian Edelman, and it's not particularly close. But then you can't be better at dropping. Chokes at things. Yeah, but if you look at what Wes Welker did between when he was with the Patriots and with the Broncos with Peyton Manning. He is head and shoulders above that's Julian why, Edelman. That's why he's on. Well, Welker is also side. Welker's also a Texas Tech guy who started his career with the Miami Dolphins. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you love like to Texas make Tech. Yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> Since Daniel, always, obviously. So I know that it is really difficult to keep track of my alliances. <laughs> But I, I know it's based I know entirely we've had, on colors. Usually. I know we've had this conversation before. Okay. When I was a little kid, I was a Texas Tech Red Raider football player for Halloween multiple times. That's where my dad got his bachelor's degree. I was born oh. in Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech is. Oh. Yeah. So I, I, have, I have always been a Texas Tech Red Raider fan. It, always. But why only football? No, all sports. Basketball, too. That's why I was so upset that Chris Beard left for Texas. <laughs> I'm staring at you. That's why I wrote. That's why I root for Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech Red Raider. I don't see anything on your body about Texas Tech or your laptop or your cup. I see a whole lot of another team. Though. It's just one of many teams okay. I root for. Okay. All right. 
So basically, I'm sorry. I feel I know you've told me that about yeah. Texas Tech before. I, I completely. It's forgot. amazing to me that you can't keep track of all the teams that I sort of root for. <laughs> when when they're good, that's one where it's when like good. whenever there's whenever there's a Texas Tech team that's good, I'm rooting for them. Okay, yeah, all Maryland right. too. Anyway, um, I think we can all kind of agree on this one, as I believe most logical people agree on this one edelman doesn't really belong in the hall of fame but i think and neither does eli my <laughs> eli's borderline to me honestly my my opinion on edelman was like because we all believe and i we've talked about this before as well the hall of fame as a museum like the hall the hall of fame is a museum that tells the story of the history of football yes so to me it's like if you wanted to go Hey, this guy won a Super Bowl MVP with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. He made huge plays in the playoffs. He's second in playoff history in yards. We want to put him in the Hall of Fame to help tell the story of football. I wouldn't really have a problem with that. But at the same time, if it were up to me, I would not be putting him in the Hall of Fame. I agree with that. And I think that you can tell the story of football without enshrining people. Like You can mention them in other ways as the story of that dynasty of teams here's, that the Patriots had. Here's my prediction. <laughs> Within the next, well, let's see, Brady's going to play five more years and then retire. So 10 years <laughs> from now, when Tom Brady is enshrined in the in the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, there will be a Tom Brady wing of okay. the Hall of Fame because that's just how he's revered by everyone. So in the Tom Brady wing, you can have players who played with Tom Brady that aren't part of the regular Hall of Fame, <laughs> but you have a separate induction. That's you're not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're in the Tom Brady wing of the Hall of Fame. Oh, I, I here's my here's my prediction. Edelman is going to go play for the Bucks. <laughs> well, he already announced his retirement. So did so did Gronk. Good point. <laughs> My mind is blown. <laughs> All right, and with that, uh, we are going to take a break and come back for Francis's mailbag. I mean, the mailbag. <laughs> the team of realtors at Oli Pen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home, stay safe time. Their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is a great time. There are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. OliPen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit sellmyharborhome.com to get your home market ready. The OliPen team is ready to work for you. It's now time for the mailbag. The, the mailbag? Sorry. <laughs> The mailbag. Yes, send the mailbag. Send us your stuff in a mailbag. You sound like you just woke up from a nap. Uh, it's uh, it's time for the mailbag. Wake up, have some. Mail huh? What? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm All right. sorry, I was. Daniel called it Francis's mailbag, but I totally commandeered it and just put my own stuff in it this week. Oh no, that's what we were happy about last week. I know, that's why I did it. <laughs> Come on. First All question. Right. What are the best sounds in sports? Easy. Big contact. 
Pads popping. Pads popping is the best sound in sports. Pads popping. I would. Oh, and baseball. Say, baseball. I would say big hit. contact with the crack of the bat. Yes, the crack of the bat and pads popping. Yes, I I 100% agree with that. I was gonna say like a really wet jumper when it hits the net. That's gross. <laughs> that's that's gross. <laughs> what? You don't get to hear that very often though. Like they don't have a mic on the net that lets you they hear should. the net. You're not watching the right should. basketball games, bro. You can't hear the net in the I broadcast. Can never, I, and I watch highlights constantly. I never hear the net. It sounds like. <laughs> well, it's not loud. It's not pronounced enough to be one of the best sounds. I think <laughs> you've just never paid attention. Nah, oh. nah, nah. I don't know. Can't I like the, possibly be because it's from basketball. I like the sound of sneakers on the hardwood. The squeaking, the constant squeaking of sneakers on the hardwood. The like how when you go to a gym, that is a if good you go sound. play basketball at a gym, yeah. you could be before you ever make the turn to walk into the gym, you know whether there are people playing there or not. Yeah, yeah. like sometimes you might go into a gym thinking you're going to be playing just you and your buddy, and then you hear the sneakers and you're like, oh dang it, there's people in there. I always get or a better sport like volleyball, any gym sport. <laughs> I always get Pickleball. excited and yeah. a huge nostalgic sensation when i hear the click of metal cleats walking up like the dugout steps mm. like when i hear those clicks of all right taking the field like it brings me back so quickly so what about I, the, the sound of a gun at a track meet i haven't been to too many track meets. do they still shoot a gun i think so i don't know i should know this i've been yeah. to way more track meets than you guys have I don't remember. It's been a few years <laughs> since I've been to a track meet, and I'm pretty sure they used a gun. I don't remember. Like, they used a gun. Okay. But that, like I said, that was a few years ago. That was when I was watching Faith run, the mm-hmm. sprinter for Aberdeen. What do you think about, I think like... Can you, I mean, a golf a golf shot, like a driver. Tonk. It's a little ping. Well, there's so many different kind of sounds, yeah. and so I think because they they have such a wide variety of how drivers sound that some it's, of them sound nice and it's not some really of them sound iconic. Weird. Yeah. And some either, of them sound yeah. weird. Too. But I think we could all agree when we were talking about swinging and hitting things, the sound of the crack of a wood bat, as opposed to the ping of an aluminum bat so much better. So oh, yeah, yeah. Wood bat is way better. Yeah. Way better. Basically in every way. Is, mm-hmm. Does does the ball hitting a glove make a pronounced sound? It, yeah. Yeah, especially a pitcher's like the catcher's glove getting popped. Oh, the pop, the, the pop, pop of the mitt. Yeah, the pop of yeah. the mitt. That's a good one too. Yep, that's also a good one. Okay. Anything? I can't think of anything else. The roar of the crowd, like that is that's a that's one that we missed this last year. That's kind of sports yeah. adjacent. That's Does it count? True. It's not part of the actual sport. It's fair. Okay. I was just trying to think it of it. It is any one others. that we definitely missed last year. Yeah. Though. It it feels it's interesting having fans back at some games now. Yeah, you know what I what sound I really don't care for the dribbling of basketballs, like the ball hitting the hardwood boingy, because I felt boingy, so much. Boingy. It's that the sound. <laughs> it's the sound when you're in a gym when a bunch of people are dribbling basketballs and you can't talk to the person that next that's next to you because it's so loud. Especially when you're at like a youth practice and <laughs> yeah. you're doing dribbling yes. drills. And it's so like, they're shorter. Yeah. As a coach, you get all the kids around and you're trying to talk to them and they're just going dribbling the ball and you're like, stop it, hold the balls, keep the balls quiet. All right, next question. Michael Bumpus said on Danny and Gallant on Friday that he once found an opposing team's playbook. He read it, then returned it. What would you do in that situation? What? What level was he? What level? He didn't specify. Because he's a high school coach. 
I don't know if he's, he's also done a bunch of like I think he coached his kids at lower levels, so because it's possible it was a lower level. It could be anything. It could be youth because he obviously played youth, high school, college, pro, and he has also coached in high school and youth football. Yeah. So like, at, he didn't specify at what level it was or where it happened. I do know. Was it? Was it? Does Mike it change Leach? the answer? Yes, it was. Yes. I'm looking it up right now. So Mike Leach once. Had one of his dummy like players, backup players, I believe, leave a dummy playbook for the other team's coaching staff to find that had like their first ten plays in it or something. Did they win? And they totally. 1999 Texas Texas versus Oklahoma. Uh, Texas Tech, right? Go Red Raiders. No, because uh, it was when I'm sorry because I just looked this up. Oh. Uh, during the, he was, <laughs> I believe he was an offensive coordinator. Okay. Uh, yes, it was a fake. Okay. It was a, a plot hatched by Le- by Mike Leach, the Sooners' offensive coordinator. Uh, during pregame warmups of that year's of 1999's Red River Showdown, <laughs> and a script outlining Oklahoma's opening offensive plays was spotted on the field by one of the Texas student assistants who scooped it up and took it to Longhorns defensive coordinator Carl Reese. To the heavily favored Longhorns, it seemed as if they'd caught a ginormous break. <laughs> it wasn't. They wrote it was ginormous? Fake. It was fake. They wrote ginormous in the story? Yes. No, I, I, enormous. I misread it. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't sound like AP style writing. Either. Yeah, it was, so, <laughs> and it backfired on him because they, they quickly fell behind seventeen to zero before realizing <laughs> they'd been duped. <laughs> you know it. what I think of first whenever I think of Mike Leach, pirates. Yes. Yar. So what would you do? Would would you? Uh, I don't know what I would do. I've never thought. Is it cheating? Because you just found it. I would read the playbook, use the information, and not return it. It would depend on entirely on the level and on on the situation to me if it was a a league game at a high school or lower where i was on good terms with the other like you know like it it was this is a friendly game we have it every year we don't hate each other i would read it and then i'd give it back maybe after the game (laughs) <laughs> youth, uh, youth football is the only time that I would do that. The, High school football. Okay, see, I was thinking youth football. I wouldn't even read it. I would just be like, hey, dude, you dropped this. Yeah, 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 exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's what I was saying is the only time that youth football is the only time that I would I would be like, hey, I got a relationship with this guy. I'm just going give to give it to you back. Yeah. High school football, no, man. You win. You go win the game. Yeah, sure. it's... It, I don't know. I'm... I'm willing to give I feel you that. Dirty. I feel like it's I feel like it still comes down to the the situation. Like specifically. If it's a rival, if it's a big rival or if it's a game that I think it might actually make a big difference, then I'm straight up taking that advantage all okay. the way. We've made Daniel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Daniel answer the question. I I don't I don't know. I think the in anything under college, I think I'm playing the be a good sport always. And I think I'm just going to give back the playbook and try my best not to look at it. 
Loser. <laughs> Daniel, you played baseball in high school and college. Yes. Have you ever stolen signs from second base? Or been a part of stealing signs from second no, base? No, I never, I never really tried to steal signs. Um, I mean, even at that point, as soon as you get a runner on second, even at, in those levels, you're picking up different signs. Also, I always thought that I would just distract my batter more. Like <laughs> When I was hitting, I wasn't trying to look at the guy on second and be all distracted See about which that. foot he steps off the base with? Yeah. Or Left any, foot fastball, right foot off speed. Anything like that. <laughs> um, although... One time we did play in a high school baseball game. We were playing against Elma, and I can't remember that kid's name, but they had a kid who was a good pitcher, and he threw hard, and he had a curveball. But he would tip his pitches, <laughs> and we didn't see anything wrong with that Like, because he would adjust the ball in his glove that a way in which we could see what he was From throwing. batter? No, from the dugout. Oh, okay. And so from the dugout... I mean, we we were pretty obvious about it. Like, I'm pretty sure a couple innings later, he was like, "All right, I gotta figure something out." But no. we were like, we were like, "Be ready for the curveball," you know, "Sit back on it," like stuff like that. Is, but we could see what he was doing. We weren't stealing signs. Is so. that even questionable? Like, is that even a gray area? Because it seems to me that that's not even a gray area. Like, that's just the yeah. dugout. It's the worst stuff thing that Daniel has out. ever done, Andrew. It's the worst <laughs> thing he's ever done. He didn't look at his opponent's playbook. He didn't steal signs from second base. He only saw that someone was tipping pitches and told his teammates about it. Okay, as long well, as you're not banging on trash cans. Yeah, there's no trash ban banging. I mean, if that's the worst thing that I've done, then are we just not talking about when I've been to people on purpose multiple times? That just makes you a physical deviant, <laughs> like a monster. All right, a, attempted murder is what that amounts to. What a! Hey. <laughs> I, I don't just think take it as a compliment that you can throw that hard. <laughs> That's the thing. I can't. All right. Do you want to get to any more of these? No. Wow, so nothing from Francis. No. Wow, you're just wiping him out of the show. We talked about both of Francis's sons today. I think we can move on from okay. Francis. And you insulted them. <laughs> Maybe they'll learn to play real sport. I don't know. We'll see. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz and Oli Penn Real Estate. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Lots of fun stuff to check out. That's going to do it for our show today. So for my co-host, Justin, mysterious mid-leg injury, Domashevitz. My co-host, Daniel the baseball attempted murderer, Hargrove. <laughs> and our producer, Andrew Pigpen producer Gross. Producer. Producer. Pigpen. He said so many things today, though. I kept wanting to change it. <laughs> mysterious <laughs> mid-leg injury. Even listening to the scrimmage. So proud of that mysterious <laughs> mid-leg injury. <laughs> <laughs>